Hello, members, friends, and neighbors of Peace Lutheran Church in beautiful downtown Puyallup, Washington, to episode 39 of our church's podcast in the time of COVID-19 pandemic, together in the word on Pioneer and Third, where we are six feet apart and face-to-face with the gift and challenge of Holy Scripture. I am actually face-to-face with Kyle Aronson, my guest for episode 39. Uh, And, um, you know, uh, it's been a while since I've been able to be face-to-face with anyone, but you have graciously made space for me in your garage on this rainy night. So thank you, Kyle, for, uh, for inviting me here and for being my guest on episode 39. It's great to be here. I've uh, listened to quite a few of the podcasts and I've really enjoyed them. And um, it's an honor to uh, tell my story and get a little uh, background on, on me. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I'm glad to have you here. Episode 39, by the way, is the penultimate episode in the podcast, or at least this season of the podcast. Uh, Next week, episode 40, will be the last uh, episode uh, for a time, at least. Uh, And uh, so I'm glad to have you here. Uh, For those of you who don't know, Kyle Aronson is the mind behind our digital ministries at Peace Lutheran Church. I hesitate to say the man behind the camera, even though that's true for Sunday morning worship. Uh, You're also the brain behind the wireless network and the website and uh, the technology that we use to stream our ministries in this weird time. So I have to I have to mention that because this is one of those ministries in this weird time that you've helped me kind of imagine and design. So thank you for that. Anytime. Uh, I'm sure we'll get a chance to talk a little bit more about uh, the our adventures in technology at Peace Lutheran Church. Oh, there's quite a few. Yeah, it's more exciting than it sounds, (laughs) I promise. Um, Maybe, many people at Peace know you pretty well, Kyle, but I wonder if maybe you would spend a little bit of time telling us a little bit about uh, your life and your family when you're not at church. Yeah, so I am originally from Spokane, Washington. Uh, Grew up there uh, until I went to college at Washington State University. I'm sure most of you have seen me in a cougar shirt here or there, but um, I am self-proclaiming myself as one of the biggest cougar fans around. Uh, just just today I was able to see my cardboard cutout that's in the stadium. I finally got my, my photo sent to me, so I have been at every WSU football game this year, even though I think there's been maybe two. Uh, anyway, but yes, I went to Washington State University. I um, have one younger brother. Uh, grew up playing tons of sports, mainly soccer. Still a huge soccer fan. Wish I played a little of it more. My son keeps me on my toes with my soccer skills at the moment. Um, but after college, I uh, took a job over here, uh, kind of a few months outside of uh, graduation. Um, I started working for my two college roommates. So I got to go to school with them for five years and then um, come over here and start a new job, which I'm still currently at. My role has changed quite a bit in those 15 years, but uh, I, um, it was obviously a great decision to move over here for that job since it's gotten me through um, a few recessions and now a pandemic and I still have that job, so I'm very thankful. Hallelujah. Yes. Um, and actually at that job um, is where I met my wife, Ellen. 
she um, was cousins to my boss, who was also my college roommate. And uh, she came to work one summer doing data entry. Uh, she actually mentioned most of this on her uh, episode of the podcast quite a few weeks ago. But uh, so we met, um, dated for over a year, got married a year after our engagement and have had two kids. We still live in the same home that I bought uh, less than a year moving over here. So we, I think, just celebrated our 14th year in this house. And uh, yeah, that's uh, the quick the quick cliff notes on my life. Tell us a little bit about how you landed at Peace Lutheran Church. So when Ellen was pregnant with Linnea, oh my gosh, I can't even get my kids straight. Um, <laughs> we were church shopping. Um, I did grow up going to Presbyterian Church uh, back in Spokane. Uh, we went faithfully for many, many years until sports kind of took over and soccer matches weren't just on Saturdays. They ended up being on Sundays as well, plus weekends away. Uh, so for many years, uh, we really only went on the major holidays just because that was really the only time that we didn't have a sporting event. And then through college, I didn't uh, go to any church. So uh, when Ellen and I got married and we were going to have our child, that was something that we wanted to do. Uh, we shopped around for a few weeks. Uh, I don't know, maybe went to four or five different churches. I think Peace was the s maybe the first or second one, and we instantly liked it. I mean, right away, we really enjoyed Pastor Kemp and um, the open openness that everybody had toward us. They Almost everybody, we felt like, said hi and wanted to shake our hand uh, during the passing of the Peace. There was one couple in particular that I remember. They moved away, I think, two years after uh, we actually started going to church there. They made a uh, a big um, step to get to know us a little bit, and uh, that was obviously great. So during the whole shopping, we were, uh, obviously Ellen was pregnant, and we actually had, Linnea came five weeks early. So during the whole shopping of the different churches, we actually hadn't even landed on a church yet. So we were um, kind of stuck uh, in limbo, I guess, and somehow, I actually don't know how Pastor Kemp got word that we had had Linnea early. And, it's funny uh, how that works in churches. And uh, he actually showed up at our door one day. And it was just kind of weird. We were sitting in our front room and we looked out the window and we instantly recognized that it was Pastor Kemp coming up. And uh, he sat with us and prayed with us. And it was that moment right there that we decided to come to, to peace. Hmm. And we've been there. Linnea is almost 11, so it's... Just coming up on our 11th anniversary. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the personal touch. You mentioned the couple that kind of reached out to you and sort of made an extra effort. Uh, and then, of course, the, the pastor's visit that really kind of solidified that for you, the, the, the uh, importance of relationship. I mean, that just is really important. That comes up a lot when people talk about their, their path to peace, that somehow through relationship, one way or another, and whether it's relationship that was forged after someone visited or if it was a relationship that led someone to try peace for the first time uh in, in either case it's it's relationship really that i think brings people um well it's courage that brings people through the door especially when you're a stranger but then it's then it's relationships that keep you there and, and i think that's probably been true forever uh, but is maybe especially true now that you can't necessarily 
assume that everyone is going to look for a church, be part of a church community as valuable as that can be. Uh, that's just not, you know, the, the, the church doesn't carry the kind of cultural weight that we used to. And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because it means that everyone who's found their way there really wants to be there. It's not just something you do because culture tells you you're supposed to do it. So, well, I admire your, first of all, I admire your, your willingness to go back and try church again after being away a while. That's a really common story. Uh, and then I admire your discernment process as a couple to say, hey, we really need to find a place that where we feel like we fit and we feel like we're, you know, we're welcome, but also that we belong. And there's no question that both of you found your way into ministries at this congregation. You certainly haven't kept your distance. Ellen has served in a variety of ways. And you, of course, have served in a variety of ways, which I'm curious to ask you a little more about since you're such a unique guest on the podcast. Um, Kyle has been at church physically uh, basically every week or almost every week throughout the pandemic because Kyle's the one who imagined and designed our online worship experience for which I'm really grateful. Do you want to, would you be willing to just tell us a little bit? I know maybe people don't, maybe you wouldn't imagine that people would be interested to know, you know, like how you dreamed up how to do uh, the, you know, the wireless networking and the, you know, try, you know, find the right tripod and, and try to figure out how to stream worship from the sanctuary. But I actually think you might be surprised at how people might be curious to hear what your thought process was about that. Do you want to walk us through that a little bit? Sure. Uh, do we want to focus on one thing first, like do the website or do we want oh, to Oh, sure. Just... Yeah. Tell okay. us about the website. That's one of my first memories of Kyle when I arrived at Peace uh, was that Kyle served on council and it was Kyle, Kyle had taken it upon himself to redesign the Peace website. So, okay. okay. So... I will say the redesign once Pastor Nate showed up, um, I had done this, this site pr prior to that, I guess. And it, it kind of felt rushed to me, um, the whole process of doing the design. I didn't have the support, I guess, that I had when after Pastor Nate showed up, which was really helpful. There's just only so much that a designer can do. Uh, I need information, I need text, I need photos, and it was just more of, I think, Pastor Kemp was busy, and I didn't have that relationship with mm -hmm. him at that time to feel like I could ask those questions. When Pastor Nate showed up, he's my age, I felt like we could talk about things like that, and I was able to get him excited about it, and I think that's also one of the things. Nate Pastor Nate had a lot of excitement mm. about the, the new site. So it was actually at the, I think it was the council retreat that year that I kind of said to everybody that it was going to happen. I have an idea. I have a theme picked out. It's now just a matter of getting it together. And I would say within a few weeks, I had the first draft to pastor to look at. And um, soon after that, it was it was live and it was the the help that I got that made me excited as well yeah. to get it up and working. It's obviously a work in progress. We tweak it all the time. I'm updating it after every sermon every week. Um, but I never have to ask pastor for the information. It is usually sitting in my inbox before I can even get home from church, the information that I need to post up there. So it's that level of um, 
help that I, I'm getting, which makes my job obviously a lot easier. In regards Your to volunteer myself. job. Yeah, you volunteered to do it and, and continue to maintain it. Yeah, well, obviously web design and, and high quality web design is a luxury uh, that not every church has. And so I'm really grateful for that. You know, I've always been really clear in our day and age, a church's website is the church's street sign. It's the first thing that someone's going to see if they're looking for a church. Uh, it's, it's, they're not likely, it's still, I mean, I suppose it's still true that people sometimes will drive by a church and notice that it's there and, and get curious about it. But then the next thing they're going to do once they get home is to Google that church yep. and find their website. So the, the website is the church's street side. That's, I'm really clear about that. And, and it's been more than, more than a few times that I've had people say, look, your website is just head and shoulders above the vast majority of websites out there. So, so you can be confident that our website is doing what it's supposed to do, which is to reflect our values and, and to give good information and to be appealing. And, and, uh, and that's all thanks to Kyle. But it's not just the website. Uh, then, then the pandemic came along and it became clear really quickly that we were going to have to rethink everything about yeah. what it means to gather as church. Thank goodness this isn't the 1918 Spanish flu because I don't know what those, those churches just must've shut down and I don't, I don't know what they did. Um, but we have the internet, thank goodness. So, uh, for a while you were using your own data plan to stream worship from the sanctuary on your phone with equipment borrowed from your company. And then we finally sat down and said, look, we've got to shore this up. We got to figure out a way to make this work for our church without having to rely so heavily on your equipment and kind of cobbling it together. So what did that look like? I'd like to actually go even back more toward March and April when this all happened. I think one of the first questions I had to pastor was how are we going to do this? How are we going to get this online? And I, I wouldn't say I cornered him, but I feel like I kind of <laughs> did in saying, I really want to take this on. I want to make this my calling at church right now to make sure everybody can see service every week live and hopefully not miss a beat. It was something that I, I, I wouldn't say I lost sleep, you know, lost sleep over, but it kept me up late at night a lot trying to think about how we could do it as cheap as physically possible, which for up until we got that stuff for from the grant, which yep. I guess still never cost the church any money. That's right. We never, it never cost any. Never cost anything. Yeah. We did it all, all yep. for free. Uh, so that was obviously fantastic. Um, so yeah, that was obviously something that I uh, wanted to That was a to way on. that you could use your gifts and your interests to make an immediate and lasting difference. Absolutely. So, Go on. Um, so yes, the question, <laughs> I already lost track. The question was well, so you, how... You were, you were using your phone yes. and your unlimited data plan and equipment from your company. And after a while we realized, now wait a minute, we're relying really heavily on this kind of, you know, we sort of cobbled it together quickly because we had to turn it around. And sure enough, we had online worship that very first Sunday. I mean, we were out on the 15th of March and on the 22nd of March, we had online worship. Um, but so eventually we sat down and said, okay, how can we figure out how to do this and, and cover it ourselves rather than having to rely on you? Um, pastor was able to find a, a grant from the, I think it was just the from South. The Synod. Yeah. The, just from yeah. the Synod. And, um, 
kind of gave me a rough estimate of how much money we were possibly going to get. So doing some research on equipment, whether it was, yeah, uh, a tripod that we found that was, that's been fantastic. Um, redoing all the Wi-Fi um, network for the whole church, which I hate to say that nobody's really been able to see it yet because nobody's really been at church. It's but, too bad, but it works so nice. <laughs> you can be so anywhere in the office, upstairs sanctuary, and I always call it the pokey plant that Pat Moore always waters. Oh, yeah. In the very back, you yep. can stand back there and you have full bars and internet access. So yeah. it was something that is some, some equipment that I kind of stumbled upon when my, my father actually purchased it after me, kind of recommended it to him. And I kind of used him as the guinea pig to see if it would work because his house is kind of spread out almost like how church is spread out. It's He's got his office on one side and then the, the garage on the other where he wants to have a security camera. And if my dad could put it together in 10 minutes and get it to work with no problems, I knew we were going to be able to get it to work at church. And sure enough, one evening, Pastor and I went to church and I don't think it took us more than an hour to get it set up. And it was the first step in getting it so we could get the iPod, which needed Wi-Fi only, so we didn't have to worry about somebody's cell phone and all of those things. So it was a a work in progress. We had to do one thing and then get the next thing and then get the next thing. There were some hiccups along the way, but hopefully everybody at home didn't see any of those hiccups, except for Easter when the tripod... No, it wasn't the tripod. It was the gimbal died. Yeah. Right in the middle of community. Turn sideways. Yeah, turn it's sideways. Okay. It's all right. It's like Easter itself, turning the world upside down. Yeah, the empty tomb. Well, that was, you know, that was, you know, the the long version of a of a story that I think is worth uh, telling because I still shake my head when I think about this year at peace and and if you had if you had asked me seven years ago when I was ordained to imagine the weirdest scenario to do congregational ministry in I couldn't have told you something this weird I would have come up with something else this is the the weirdest and in some ways really most impossible challenge for a congregation to face and you know being able to do being able to do online ministry of any kind especially involving video especially live I mean that's really remarkable that we're able to do that and so anyway I thank you for your for your commitment to that, your ongoing commitment to that. And now we're free and clear. Now we've got a device we can use, anyone can use, to live stream any ministry event, in theory. And, uh, you know, you don't even have to be there anymore if you don't want to be. We've got equipment that people can learn to use, and you're already training a protege uh, to to fill in for you. And, and um, it's all, it's all uh, going to be there's going to be a lasting impact even beyond this year because one of the things we've heard from congregational members and members of the community who have given us feedback is that even when we come back together uh, physically in the church, there are those who would really like to see us continue to live stream something, whatever that looks like, uh, whether it's Sunday morning worship or something else. Uh, if people are traveling or people are ill yeah. or whatever reason the they can't be in church. Yeah. We like to travel. Absolutely. I, Pull I it up on your phone. Yep. You know what I mean? So so now we've got the equipment to do that. Now we've got the connectivity to do that. We've got a, kind of a, a, a way of thinking about it that seems to work. And, um, and I've been able to share this story 
uh, with others who've who've inquired because they've appreciated, you know, the, the the way that worship feels online at peace. It's not jerky or awkward. It feels natural. It feels like you're there. So anyway, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Anytime. It's been a blast. Speaking of COVID and, and maybe a little more personally for you, um, this is since it's been such an unprecedented time, really a time of crisis. I think we can all agree on that. Um, I've been asking my guests on the podcast to just talk a little bit about your experience of the pandemic and, and how it's impacted you and like what your hopes might be for the time after. So my first question that I want to ask you is simply, how are you doing? What, what is getting you through these days? Uh, we're doing as well as can be expected. Uh, both Ellen and I are working from home. So we start our mornings off usually pretty early to get an hour or so in of work before uh, Connor and Linnea's uh, online classes start. So for six hours of the day, it's a juggle between who is going to help the kids. Thankfully, now they've gotten into a little bit of a rhythm and they can do a lot of it themselves. But when this first started, I mean, that was yeah right in March of last year, Connor was in kindergarten and you, you can't put a kindergartner in front of a a computer screen for very long before they just start to get you know too antsy so i would say if you would have asked this question in march of last year we would have i would have had a different answer (laughs) um but now it's gotten a lot a lot better it's still difficult because it's just hard to concentrate when you're trying to do your job and every what seems like five ten minutes a kid comes in with a question whether it's a school related question or a home related question so uh, I just, I feel like I'm exhausted at the end of the day, of course. even though I don't leave the house. I don't feel like I get any exercise, but it's more mental exhaustion. Mm-hmm. So what probably getting me through all of this is just knowing that we're safe and mm-hmm. um, it'll, it's not going to be forever. So mm. that's, that's what I'm looking at. And now that the vaccine, all of those things have seemed to be doing well. My hope is I would be shocked if by this time next year we're still in the same situation. Uh, I would really hope not because my job relies on events and you can't have an event with thousands and thousands of people if there's uh, a pandemic. I just happened to be at an event in March. We were at the event and the morning that it was supposed to open, the state of Oregon you know, closed everything just like Washington did. So we had done all the work to get it prepped. I flew down there. We got... Every exhibitor was moved in, and two hours before, we had to cancel it. And it was such a letdown because it was the last show of the year, and we kind of wanted to go out on a high because it had been a great year for, for our events. You know, attendance was up, so everybody was happy until this happened. So it was kind of like, a, not see, a, a downer, but it, it was. Sure. Um, thankfully, some of our larger events were able to um, go on, which... so. Winter then, what you'd say January through March is maybe your biggest season, which of course is going to be a little bit up in the air this year. Yes. So, yeah. Is that going to change if I asked you the same question in a month and a half or two months? Would your, would you be, do you think you'd be giving a different response? No, I don't, I don't think so. We, the company has moved four of our events. So we're moving them back in hopes that maybe by March things are a little bit better. They've been working really closely with the governor of Washington because we have 
two, two or three events up here, and then all the rest are down in Oregon. And they've had a really good relationship with the, the governor's office down there, which has really been helpful. Uh, so they think they can, they can put the events on with all of the precautions and everything, but they've already said, you know, if we, if we can't do it this year, we know we can do them the next year. There so that's, that's a, it's a relief to me knowing that they've already looked that far ahead and, and know that they can survive yeah. this, this time. So it's one less worry that obviously Ellen and I have. Yeah. So that's good. You know, you have me thinking about like the the way that we think about the future, and and there's a way that hope functions to kind of increase our resilience or or get us through. Um, hope springs eternal, right? There's this old phrase that that uh, that we we always look to possibility uh, in the future. It's not always doom and gloom and hope in that way is kind of a resistance, right? It's a, a way to say, look, when you say, this isn't going to be forever, that's a way to, that's a way to get through. That's a coping strategy, yeah. that's perspective, right? Like, um, and that's not always, I mean, it, sometimes it's, it's harder to do that than other times. And there've been times, I'll be honest, in this pandemic, when I've thought, really, is this ever going to come to an end? Are we, are we just going to kind of see it get worse and worse and worse until, until what, right? Um, but yeah, I'm seeing the light at the end of the tunnel too. And and it does appear that the worst thing was not the last thing to borrow uh, to borrow an old uh, definition of resurrection. The worst thing is never the last thing. Uh, it doesn't sound like it's going to be the last thing. So I'm looking forward to that day too. The second question that I have uh, for my guests about COVID is, is kind of a philosophical question about emerging from crisis and and what what crisis can teach us and crisis can as we've seen bring the worst out of uh people and it can also i think bring the best out of people sometimes if you could cast a vision for what we would learn or how we would be better as a result of having gone through this together as a society what would that vision look like um i think i've i've learned that if I'm ever sick in the future or just have a little cold, I'll put a mask on. I'm not going to be hesitant to go out in public and, and infect think, people. In, yeah. Infect people. And I mean, maybe I kind of always thought, oh, if that person has a mask, how sick are they really? I mean, right. it was, I kind of maybe always assumed the worst and, and whatnot. But now they were probably doing what I will be doing in the future and just kind of making it safe for everybody else. Because everywhere I've gone, I've, I've worn my mask religiously and I feel like Ellen and I and the kids have done everything that we can in our power to stay safe for our own well-being but also god forbid if we had gotten sick we wouldn't have infected anybody else um so uh, I I that's yeah that's good okay wearing a mask has been a symbol of of love for the neighbor right now and I mean that was what struck me so much about these these you know disposable masks like the one that I have is is uh, or the cloth masks is that they don't actually protect you very well unless someone else is wearing a mask too right so we wear masks for each other that's the thing that you know that struck me so much about wearing a mask it is such a simple symbol of caring for your neighbor uh, and if everyone would do it right this Correct. is the point of every, if everyone would do it it'd be highly effective we could have been through this a long time ago. A long time ago, 
Right. So yeah, wearing a mask. I mean, so there are cultures that already do this, right? I mean, you think about some of these East Asian cultures that have been through more frequent or more yep. recent pandemics. They've already learned this lesson, right? That you, you already you already see people in public wearing masks, whether or not they're sick, right? And uh, some of those countries are the ones that have fans in their stands now for for, for soccer games. events. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We just re- yeah, Taiwan today they they've not had to have this it's, it hasn't gone as bad as obviously it is in other countries same as australia they're, because they were better prepared. they're better prepared yeah well so some of those practical considerations are well they're both practical but they're also uh you know that's a, that's a an attitude change right to say you know what nobody really loved having to wear masks at least i mean i don't know i've not met someone yet who would be like I would rather wear a mask than not, but we do it because it's the right thing to do. And it's a simple way to try to protect people's health. So yeah, I I appreciate your, I appreciate the fact that that's a really practical, simple solution that maybe we need to continue to consider even when we're all safe from COVID-19. Thank you. You know, the second half of our uh, podcast episodes has always focused on the upcoming gospel for Sunday, and this Sunday is the third Sunday in Advent. Uh, and I'll full disclosure Advent, my favorite season of the church year. I love it for lots of reasons. Uh, but one of the reasons is that each Sunday has its own theme, if you will, and I don't always abide by that in my preaching. But uh, the third Sunday of Advent is always the pink candle, uh, and the pink candle stands for joy. It's called Gaudete Sunday, which is Latin for joy. And so you'll hear, for instance, in the second reading from uh, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, rejoice always, rejoice, joy. The theme is, even in the midst of, um, you know, gathering night, right? We're getting close to the darkest time of year. This is the time that we need to be reminded to rejoice, to experience joy. Uh, And so uh, on Gaudete Sunday or Joy Sunday, Our gospel comes to us from the Gospel of John. Uh, This is year B, which means we'll focus mostly on the Gospel of Mark. But this Sunday we get to hear from John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8 and 19 to 28. John 1, 6 through 8 and 19 to 28. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Messiah nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, 
I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. This took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. This is the gospel of the Lord. All right, so two Sundays in a row, we get to hear this story about John. It's a little awkward for preachers, and uh, some people find it frustrating that we hear from John in the gospel of Mark, and then we hear the same story about John in the gospel of John the next week. Um, But I actually like the character of John the Baptist, and I think there's a lot here uh, for us to unpack. So I'm, I'm glad for the opportunity to preach on John two weekends in a row. Um, the, the questions we usually use to open up the biblical text in Bible study are as follows. First of all, what stands out to you? Is there a word, a phrase, an image, an idea that just kind of jumped out as you heard this story? Uh, secondly, what questions do you have? Is there something you don't understand or something that bothers you or something that piques your curiosity? And then the last question is if Holy Scripture is living and active, it's supposed to live in you and act upon you, then what is this scripture doing for you today? What will you take for today? So those, those are our, our three questions to open up a little conversation about this gospel. Should we start with that first simplest one? What, simply, what stands out to you? You've heard the story of John the Baptist before. This time through, what is it that got your attention? Um, I, the, the reference to the light. Yeah. Um, I, that's, that was the first thing that popped out to me, obviously. Multiple, uh, le- multiple references. Multiple, yeah, yeah, yeah multiple yeah. references. I yeah. don't have, obviously you're reading it to me. I don't have it right in front of me to, yeah. to, to say anything about it. But, uh, yeah, there was that. Um, it was more of the... He obviously he obviously looked important enough to get so many questions. Yeah. About, uh, I, I, uh, I'm trying to think of. Yeah, they're drilling him. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. they're saying drilling. these 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 uh, you know these representatives of the religious establishment right are showing up and you know peppering him with questions about who he, who who are you? Tell us who you are. Who who are you? It almost sounds like he's in a. Like he's been arrested and he's like getting interviewed by the police, right? It's yeah. almost like, you know, tell us, tell us about yourself, you know, give us, give us an answer that's going to convince us of whatever it is that we're, we're, uh, that we want to find out about you or whatever. So yeah, so he's, he's clearly like in the spotlight, which is interesting for sure. Uh, and the re- your reference to, to the light, I mean, the, the light is a really important metaphor in the gospel of John in general. So this idea of witnessing to the light, like being able to see where the light, you know, the light of God, the light of the world is coming from is, is part of John's, part of John's story too. And he's the first, right? He's the, he's this right here in chapter one, right? He's the, he's the first witness to, to Jesus, who is the light of the world. Good. Um, you know, that one of the things that stands out to me, and it happens a lot in John because we have to unpack it every time because it's important historically, but the, the thing that really stood out to me was this reference to the Jews, right? We will hear this reference to the Jews all the time in John. This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And the mistake that the church has made over the years is to assume that that means all Jewish people, 
When in fact, in the Gospel of John, that phrase, the Jews, refers to the religious establishment, the, those who are in power. And of course, religious power and political power and social power and economic power are all really difficult to pull apart. In, in our day and age, we think of the separation of church and state pretty naturally. We think, oh yeah, church leaders are important, but they're not the same as political leaders. Although there's, you know, we, it gets a little bit, yeah, gray area there these days, right? So we have to be a little careful about that. But in, in Jesus' day, the, the temple leadership, the, the most powerful members of the religious establishment were in lots of ways just in bed with, with you know, political power. And we're certainly, um, I mean, obviously we're allowed to continue to function by the Roman occupation. So, you know, there was a way in which they were just sort of all kind of continuing to exercise power. Uh, and, and so John and Jesus represent a threat to that. And um, so, so in this case, whenever we hear the word the Jews, we have to be careful not to say, oh, well, that's all Jewish people who are responsible for questioning John the baptizer or responsible for crucifying Jesus. That's a mistake that the church has made over and over again, it has resulted in a lot of anti-Jewish sentiment, anti-Jewish violence. So that's something I feel like I always have to mention whenever we come across it in John. The Jews are the religious elite, the authorities, because of course Jesus and all of his followers are also Jewish. Um, so that's an important distinction to make. What about that second question that we ask to study the Bible? What what questions do you have for this text? Uh, I guess it goes to what you were saying about the pink candle and the this week being the joy joy Sunday joy yeah. Sunday. Um, so I guess it's where is the joy in this passage? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, there's really no rejoicing in here, is there? Uh, yeah, I mentioned the I mentioned the second reading, uh, rejoice always from First Thessalonians, but that's Paul. Uh, and, you know, the psalm will refer to rejoicing and joy. And, and the first reading from Isaiah will have a reference to joy. But this one doesn't really have any references to joy explicitly, I guess. Uh, it's kind of like a tense moment of confrontation. There's not a lot of joy in that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I guess this this quote from Isaiah that John quotes uh, in both last week's gospel from Mark and in this week's gospel from John. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. I wonder where the joy is in clinging to hope for a future that God holds in God's hands. I guess joy from joy for me is different than happiness or um, optimism, right? It, it's the, it's joy is that deep seated sense of wellness or well being, uh, in being held in love, um, being able to see, we've talked about seeing the light at the end of the tunnel with COVID. There is some yeah. anticipatory joy there. Like I kind of think of the day when I feel like, Oh wow. Like things are changing. We turned a corner. There's joy in imagining that and in trusting that that day will come. And maybe it is, maybe it's like not quite 
like I can't be totally exuberant right now, but maybe that's not the kind of joy we're talking about on the third Sunday of Advent. After all, Christmas hasn't come yet. Um, Easter hasn't come yet. This is maybe more that anticipatory joy. And I, I sense that John, John can feel that. Otherwise, he wouldn't be so confident to go out and, you know, do his ministry and, and you know, look to Jesus as this, this herald of, um, of God's way on earth. And, and, um, and that someday everything is going to be held uh, in God's love and God's care. I don't know. I, yeah, we got to find our joy where we can get it. And maybe sometimes it's just like looking to the future and saying, it's going to be okay. I don't know why it's going to be okay or how it's going to be okay, but someday it's going to be okay. And I can find joy in that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that rings true for you. No, it's, I, it's little victories now. Yeah, it's it right. might be just uh, like Ellen, we always talk at night, you know, what was the favorite part of your day? Mm. When you don't leave the house and yeah. uh, you're not really doing anything fun, you have to really dig deep to find things. And That's right. I think, I think I said today was just you know having dinner with my family. I mean, yeah. everybody was home. Ellen actually had to go into the, to, to the office today. She's by herself, but uh, you know it was a solo parenting by me today. So just having an extra set of hands and you know everybody home safe. That's that was the joy for the day. Amen. Yeah, and it looks it looks forward to a time when that kind of experience will not, you know, that'll that'll be that'll be normal. You won't have to, you know, it's not like you're you're holed up in your home because you have to be. Like it kind of reminds you why that might be a joyful thing in general. Uh, but when you're forced to stay in your house or, uh, you know, not to go do things that you might enjoy doing otherwise during the holiday season, something as simple as dinner together is that is precisely it. Yeah, it's yeah. a micro joy. Uh, I love that. Yeah, good question. What about that last question uh, that we ask of the Bible? And maybe the most important only because it gets at what scripture means for you personally. And, and if, if this isn't just an intellectual exercise to study scripture together, and it's, you know, it's not just something we're supposed to do. It's supposed to give you life and hope to encounter this sacred narrative and, and have it speak to you, hopefully. So if, if you're going to take from something from this passage today, if you're going to, if the word is going to become flesh for you today, what's that going to look like? Uh, well, first, I guess I just want to say, uh, I don't study scripture very much. That's just not something that is me. And it's been fun to sit here with, with pastor and go over, uh, a particular passage, uh, thing that really kind of hit home to me or sets the stage was the spotlight. Uh, he didn't want the spotlight to me. And I guess I take that as, um, that's kind of me and my job right now. Hmm. I, um, I work behind the scenes. I, I do a lot of things that just kind of make sure I kind of like the oil of the car, just making sure that it runs smoothly Hmm. and properly and there's no hiccups. So, uh, I am not one that likes to go out and, and, and talk in front of a crowd or have either the spotlight or a lot of extra responsibility, I guess, that have a big decision. So I guess that's where I would, I would take, I like to kind of be behind the scenes and do my, do, do what I'm doing, do what I know I'm good at and just kind of go from there. So you're a kindred spirit with John the baptizer. Yeah. He, um, he, 
knows exactly who he is. I mean, there's something refreshing about that. He says, no, I'm not the Messiah. No, I'm not Elijah returned from heaven. No, I'm not the prophet foretold. I am me. I'm John the baptizer. I'm the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Uh, Prepare the way of the Lord, the other one, the one to which I point, right? Don't pay attention to me. Pay attention to this one. My job is to point you to him. Kind of like a website. I'm pointing somewhere. Amen. Yes. I love that connection. Very good. Yes. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you think about all of the people who, on whom Jesus relied, for instance, to, to make his ministry work. I mean, I think about all the folks who took him in for the night as he was walking around Galilee and fed him a meal and sat at his feet and listened to what he had to say and then followed him around. I mean, think about all the people involved in the ministry of of Jesus, and then you think of all the people involved in the ministry of the gospel throughout the ages whose names we don't know. John, I mean, the reason we know John's name is because he is faithful in deferring to Jesus, right? And and that's not, that's not, doesn't make him less, right? It doesn't make him uh, less worthy, uh, to use his own word, uh, because he he's able to He's able to kind of see where he stands in, in the gospel story, and that allows him to shine. Um, he's, in, he's like sort of out in front for a while, and then at the critical moment, when he gets all the attention, he says, nope, nope, you need to pay attention to this one over here, that's, which that's is fascinating. I mean, that's, there you go. Right, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's exactly what you want to do. You want to, you want to make it work without being the center of attention. Yeah, good for you. That's a really good connection. You know, it's interesting because um, I think about John and, and what his relationship to Jesus might have been and uh, how, you know, they, they might have been relatives or, or you know, distant cousins and uh, how they might, have, they might have known each other in childhood. They might have grown up together and what these conversations between the two of them might have been like uh, as they prepared uh, for the ministry that they both were called to do and and what it might have been like to be John and to say oh Jesus is the one what you know what role am I supposed to play for my friend and my family member who with whom I've spent time and and who I know and love and and how can I support him um you know that's a that's a deeply humble and faithful path that he took so I really admire John the baptizer for that reason too Kyle Aronson, I thank you for your time and for your insights. Uh, fun to have you on episode 39, the second to last episode uh, of this one of many online ministries that we've had a chance to, to experiment with in this time of COVID-19. I really appreciate having you on the podcast. Oh, it's been, been a pleasure. Thank you for asking me. And thanks to all of you. Until next week, episode 40, the last in our season.